series that we've been looking at over the last couple of months, looking at times in the Bible where Jesus has met with people and what's happened. That's what we've been doing week in, week out. So we're drawn to a close in this series. We've got a couple more uh, left to look at, but today we're going to be looking at John 6 and verse 1 to 15. Let's pray before we open up God's Word. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that every single one of us matter. And we come before you just now, Lord, with our hearts positioned in a posture of openness, in a posture willing to receive, in a posture willing to be challenged. Thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 6 and verse 1 it says, and it should be on the screen as well behind me, hopefully at some point in one second. We'll start reading. We'll start reading. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Amen. Amen. Now to start uh, today's talk, I'm going to bring a little bit of a science uh, lesson. And I'm not a scientist in the slightest. I never done science at school. And the internet might be wrong here, but we're going to roll with it. Diamonds are made, are formed deep within the earth, about 100 miles or so below the surface in the upper mantle. Now, obviously, in that part of the earth, it's very hot. There's lots of pressure, the weight of the overlying rock bearing down. So that combination of high temp, people are nodding, that's good. The combination of high temperature and high pressure is what's necessary to grow diamond crystals in the earth. Without the pressure, it would just be carbon in a lesser form, such as graphite. So if there's no pressure, there's no diamonds, essentially. Now, keep that picture. We face situations every day where we have a chance to display God's love. We have had stories of people sharing where they've stepped out to exercise the gifts that God has given us, to share about the hope that we have, to love that little bit more, uh, the person that's next to us, whether they deserve it or whether they expect it or not. 
And that's what we are called to do if we believe in the power of the gospel. But life can be tough. We have battles, we have trials, we have seasons where we're just meh. It's just meh. You ever had seasons where it's just, you can't put your finger on it, it's just, it's just, it just is what it is. Well, that's the last thing that sometimes we want to pursue. And often sharing Jesus involves doing some things that we wouldn't normally do, putting ourselves out there. And often that isn't easy. And in this passage, there's a big pressure moment. There is 5,000 men, and commentators say that was probably anything between 10 to 15,000 people, because that was just men that was accounted for. This is a huge thing. This amount of people were needing fed. And we see in this passage some different reactions to being under pressure. And I'm sure if we could uh, all think, we could all think of situations where we have been under pressure, where we've needed something to happen. How, I want to ask, how do we react under pressure? How do we react when there's a panic, when there's a, a stress, when, there's some, when we have nowhere to turn, where there's something that's needing done? If we believe and trust in Jesus, he calls us to act in a certain way in these situations because of an inner desire through the Holy Spirit in us. And I want to look at the passage today with pressure in mind. And Jesus' encounter teaches us so much when we are under pressure. And uh, as I was looking at this passage, I was just drawn to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-9. He says this, But we have in, uh, this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So what Paul is telling us is that we will be pressed, we will be stretched, we will be out of our comfort zones. But in order for that diamond to be produced inside of us, we will go through a certain amount of pressure. There is an enemy that hates what we possess. He hates what we carry. Why? Because he knows he can't compete with it. And we are never to forget the power and the protection that God has over us. It's not about us. It's all about him. And we are but jars of clay. But there's treasure inside each and every one of us if we know Jesus. Treasure that the enemy hates to see brought into the light. So, firstly, if we have a look at Jesus. Jesus, firstly, is moved with compassion. So the mountain that Jesus heads to here is significant. This is where Jesus wanted to find some, priva some privacy, some rest, some time uh, with his father and with his disciples. So this mountain, in a sense, was his chill-out time. When I want to chill out, I put on the Xbox. I like to play my Xbox now and again. Not so much now with two toddlers, but uh, also uh, we like to watch, has anyone watched the program Life at the Chateau with that couple that have bought that big castle? Escape to the Chateau, sorry, Mary. That is one of our favorites. That's a really good watch. You should check it out. Uh, but I also love to drive to Doors Beach. It's like five miles away. It's so good. Sometimes I just go myself and uh, just have a great time with God. There's something just about, it's just spectacular, isn't it? In all weathers, it's spectacular. Jesus went to a mountain. The disciples had been working hard, ministering also. They needed rest. But there was still a great crowd following him. Similar to earlier in the Gospels, and we've seen last week, people were intrigued. Crowds were following. They were interested in more signs, more miraculous. 
There was a, within this following, some were eager for an encounter, some were just having a nosy. Have you ever had folk turn up into your situation, into your life at the most awkward time? At the time where it's the last thing you want? Have you ever had it? Uh, we've, you know, we've had it. Where it's inconveniencing the plans that you've had, where it's not the right time. Regardless of this moment, Jesus had compassion. The commentators say that there was an invasion on his vacation. I love that. I love that little phrase. There was an invasion on his vacation. At a time where he had set aside, yet God had other plans and he cared for these people. A good number of years ago, how old would I have been? Over 15 years ago, I used to work at Loch Lomond Golf Course. I, when the Scottish Open was on, I used to be one of the score boys that would carry the scores and I'd get all the free gear and I'd get to be so close to all the golfers. And it was just an amazing, amazing time. Uh, but I remember after one of the days I went to, to get my dinner at a local takeaway and two of the players were there. They were waiting to get their food and I got all nervous and I'm like, I need to get an autograph. I'm like 14 years old. I could tell all my friends at school. This will be great. And it was like Justin Rose, for those of us that know golf, and Paul McGinley. They're pretty big players. So I went through in my mind. I was like, what will I say? Hi, I'm Thomas. Hi, you can see I work at the club as well. I've been helping out. I was putting it in my mind what to do. And I plucked up the courage and I went up to them and I said, could I have your autograph? And they said, no, not just now. <laughs> and I cried. I cried after all that time building it up in my mind and thinking, I'm going to say this and I'm going to get the autograph and it's going to... They said no. They said, yeah, thanks so much. I probably need to get prayer for that, folks. But anyway, <laughs> just as I'm processing that and saying it out. But they must have been tired and worn out after playing and doing the media and signing autographs at the course. Uh, they said no. Maybe they felt a little bit like what Jesus and the disciples did at that moment going up that hill tired, they've done a fair bit of traveling, they've done a fair bit of amazing stuff. These players have maybe hit some great shots, they've negotiated some sponsors, they've had a great, you know, they've got, they've got great stuff coming up, they need to rest right now. You know, Jesus could have fobbed these people off, he could have changed outfits, he could have shaved his beard off, he could have said, I'm not Jesus, what are you talking about? But he knew he had to act. He had compassion for the people. He's seen their needs. His heart was overflowing. His heart was moved. And this wasn't just one 13-year-old boy wanting a signature and a cap. This was 5,000 men, over 10 to 15,000 people needing fed. What a challenge. We are called to be more like Jesus. And I know there's times where we need rest. I know, I know that, and I champion that, and that's biblical and healthy, and we are advocates of that. But that does not mean we are to close off the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are to continue to be open. We are, continue, we are to, be, to be available. I wonder if we are open to an invasion on our vacation. Where, are we, where is God nudging us? Where is He compelling us to act? Where is God speaking? In the vineyard, that is our mandate, that we are kingdom carriers in Aldi, getting our nails done, getting our hair done, walking the dog. We carry the kingdom. We all get to play. You know, maybe some of us have been ignoring God's voice for whatever reason, reason, doubt, insecurities, inconvenience. This story is an amazing one of provision, an ending beyond our wildest dreams. 
And it started with Jesus acting on his heart of compassion. What is God calling us to that will bring others into relationship with him? Perhaps it's ministering to the poor in our city in a really practical way. Perhaps it's to take people in and give them a home, give them a bed, a warm meal. Perhaps it's setting up a storehouse bin in our office at work. Perhaps it's giving a person an hour of our time every day to listen, to pray more, to rally for justice in our local area, to have the kettle on for the, neighbor, the elderly neighbor. Why? Because we love Jesus. And this love that is undeserved that we have received has changed, has changed our lives. We are a new creation and we are to look different to everyone else. Are we looking different? Are we standing out? Do people look at us and know there's something different about how we live? Let's be asking God for more of a heart for what breaks his. So when we leave today, we can't not do anything about it. Jesus knew he had to do something even when others suggested otherwise. And that's what I want to look at secondly. So we had Jesus is moved with compassion. And then secondly, we have, let's get up on the disciple struggles, the struggles of their uh, reluctant hearts. This event is in all four gospels. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's an account of this feeding of this, this amount of people. And it's interesting to know in Mark's account, the disciples suggested to send the people away to send them away. And that doesn't fit for Jesus. These people are like a flock without a shepherd. The disciples are looking out for themselves. We are tired. These people can wait. Let's rest. We are comfortable just now. In John's account, Jesus poses a question. It's almost like a joke. Jesus knows exactly what he wants to do, and he wants to test the disciples' response. He says, where shall we buy bread for these people uh, to eat? Where shall we get bread for these people to eat? It's another test of faith thrown out by Jesus. We see this in verse 6. He already knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to see where Philip was at. He wanted to see what Philip's response would be. And sometimes we are faced with that step of faith where we need to actually believe God will move in a situation. But often we forget that and we put every obstacle in the way of trusting him. Had, the, had Philip not seen what Jesus was doing? Had Philip's faith not been stirred by all the miraculous things that had happened? A number of years ago, I was working in a bank and I had... I was volunteering with our youth group at the time at a church in Aberdeen, and it, it was great. It was so much fun, and we're seeing God do amazing things in, that, in our youth group. And the, I had a phone call from uh, the pastor of the church, and he says, how would you feel about becoming the youth pastor at the church? And at that point, I was like, oh, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Let me, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. And uh, while I was thinking about it, while I was praying about it, I was putting every single obstacle in the way of that step out of faith. So I went back and I went, okay, I could do that, but one day a week, maybe I could do it. And then other days a week, I'm going to do my, my teaching 
year PGDE thing and become a teacher. And then actually another option, I've not quite thought it through yet, because I'm in mortgages just now, I might set up my own business and become like a whole of market advisor and do that a couple of days as well, just in case it doesn't work out. God calls us to have faith. And in the end, I decided to step out and it was scary. It was exciting. And there's, there's been plenty of other times where I put obstacles in the way of God's plan uh, for, for my life. And the same can be said of our planting journey as well. Putting obstacles, maybe, maybe it isn't right to do that. Maybe start a church, okay. Maybe we should think about doing this to keep it safe. And maybe we should, God has other plans. When we step out in faith, he honors that. Maybe he's speaking to us about buying a sandwich for somebody on the street or speaking to our work colleague about church or offering to pray for that person in the queue. What are we putting in the way? Maybe it's about the miracle question that Cherry shared this morning. That's not for me. That's for other people. Oh, I, I, Saturday mornings, they're, they're precious, precious time. That's, that's not the best time. The two disciples, firstly, we look at Philip and I like to call him fearful Philip. He looks at the cost. In verse 7, he looks at money. What are we going to do? There's the fear of financial implications. He's always saying, this is madness, Jesus. What, what are you thinking? I've had a look at feeding this 15,000 people, and we can't afford to do this. The disciple tour will go bust after this if we are to do this. We will be in negative equity. This is not going to continue. He dwells on the problem. He doesn't look at the person who can provide. And then we have Andrew, who I've, I've called anxious Andrew. You like that? That's good, eh? He looks at what is readily available. He scours the crowd. He goes, okay, Jesus, I'm going to look for some food. I'm in a panic. I'm in a stress. Jesus wants to feed these guys. We're going to look so silly. We need to find something. Here's a boy. Five loaves, two fishes. He goes a step further than Philip because he presents someone and something to Jesus in the shape of a boy with loaves and fishes. But he questions at that point. When the boy comes with his food, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? How far will this go among so many? Again, he dwells on the problem instead of the person who can provide. Instead of saying, Jesus, this boy is given this. You're the son of God. I'm believing you will use this. I'm believing you will use this. Francis Chan says, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. So good. And I can resonate with Andrew and Philip. But what if pushing through fear and pushing through anxiety meant a miracle was near? What if we were that close? How much can we relate to these two examples with the disciples and their reluctant hearts? You see, we can often humanize Jesus. We can magnify the problems, the setbacks, the fear, the darkness, the questions, and not look to God, not cry out to God. We muddle through, we carry on, we trawl through our days, we manage, we survive, we don't thrive. 
Now, I appreciate we all have seasons of battle, and where God moves and His Spirit moves, there will be battle. But we must be resolute and in conversation with God. We must cling to Him and not just survive in our own strength, our own resources, because we will dry up. We will dry up. Perhaps some of us here this morning are, are just dry, dry bones, because we're afraid to trust, to fully rely on Him, because the sto- our stories up until now have been stories of where we have had to fight for everything, where we've had to fight to where we have got to, where we've had to cling on day by day to get to where we need to be, and it's been a battle, and it's been a fight, and we're exhausted. And God's just whispering this morning, just come to me. Just come to me. I want you to bring the real you this morning. Don't let fear rule and dictate and be drivers, but bring it to me. Fall into a heap in front of me this morning and just be in front of your heavenly Father. You can imagine Jesus, can't you, at this moment where the disciples are having all this stuff come up. You can imagine maybe going, oh, here we go again. Here we go. When are they ever going to just trust? We had a season back in 2010 where a house just wouldn't sell. And I think part of that, I think I've maybe shared this before. It was a quirky house. Our bedroom was an attic conversion. It had stairs coming up from the kitchen and it never had planning permission. We bought it just before the market crashed. And boy, could we sell it without planning permission. It took over two years And we thought we had it sold, and we were at a a Christian youth festival, and we found out, we got a phone call in the middle of it, where the the sale had fell through. And I just was feeling just awful. And some dear friends of ours ran to us, seen us like crying, and just laid hands on us and prayed with us, and we brought it to God, and, and that helped massively. And also, I've mentioned a couple of times, we were trying for a baby for over two years, and that was, that was tough. That was awful. We used to see friends who would have kids. And we would long for what they had. And I remember two years later, hugging my pastor in the, in the church kitchen in tears when I told him, Mary's pregnant. Mary's pregnant. But through that, we were questioning, what's happening, God what is happening? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you, why aren't you speaking? What's next? Will it ever change? We are to be people that say, we believe you can change this, even when the world says no chance. When there's no finance to make this happen, God, I pray you will move. When we don't have enough resource, I'm trusting that you will bring it. I will continue to pray over the womb that is closed. I will continue to pray over the house that needs to be sold. I will continue to pray over the bill that needs to be paid. I will continue to pray over the illness that needs miraculous healing when all hope in the worldly sense is lost. And God, you are good and you know best. And for us prideful people, where there's pride that's resonating, to say that line is tough. You know best. To hand it over and to say to God, you know best in this situation. Our little boys, they've watched a film called Boss Baby. And they go around the house and they go, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. And we're kind of saying, no, we're the boss. You behave. No, I'm the boss. We are to say, God, you are the boss this morning. We are not the boss. You see, the disciples made 
Uh, the disciples, when Jesus made his request, they panicked. And we can panic, but we're still used mightily again and again and again. The disciples looked to the world and panicked. And sometimes all he asks is that we go to him first in our panic and trust more in the supernatural, that he has a plan. Sometimes, often, always, it won't go the way that we think, but he has a plan. And then finally, we have a generous boy who brings his loaves and fishes. We have a boy who brings what he has. It was all he had. It was everything he had. He went hungry to give this. And the implication of this meant he went in the belief that he would go without for the benefit of others. This is a young boy. What a sweet heart. How often do we outwork our faith like that? What generosity. There's a few things in this uh, that I want to draw out very quickly as we bring things to a close. Firstly, God uses it all, however small, however small. We look throughout God's word, a baby in a manger, a song, a boy's lunch, a few coins, a mustard seed. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God uses it all. He loves to see us obedient in the small things, the small everyday decisions that shape and lead to more than we think, more than we will ever see. Our Vineyard Tots team with our, our preschool kids, they sing a song, you're the God of the big, you're the God of the little, you're the God of the stuff, something in the middle. I was going to sing it there. It kind of started a little bit that I was going to sing it, but then I was like, no, 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 we're not going there. We're not going there. You're the God of the little. For those of us that are despising what we can bring, that we're thinking this morning, little old me, what am I for? It's so small. We need to bring that to God because it's God. It all matters. You matter this morning. But so often we think it's only the big decisions, the big things that we can bring or the big decisions that can be tough. The little things can be tough as well. It can be tough to start those little decisions. He came prepared. He came ready for food when he was hungry. There was no indication of anyone else having food to give. He got up in the morning and he held on lightly to what he had. Do we do that in our walks? Do we go prepared with open hands into our days? Who knows how God will use it? God uses it all. How prepared are we? Imagine we went into our days in the mornings and went, Lord, I'm going to encourage one person today because the Bible says that our words have power of life and death and I'm going to speak life. I'm going to do it every day. In the little, I'm going to bring one person before you and I'm going to encourage the life out of them. I'm going to tell them what I can see in them. I'm going to call out the gold. One person every day. Or I'm going to bring an extra fancy tea bag, some peppermint. Peppermint tea is going down a storm in our small group. I don't know what it is. I'll say, who wants tea and coffee? And about six people put their hands up for special, anyway. Bring some special stuff to bless our staff rooms. I'm going to share that Bible verse and I post it to someone. How prepared are we and what are we bringing into our days? And I wonder with this little boy, where was that birthed? Why was he so open-handed? Why did he bring it? You think of little boys. We can't get anything off Joshua and Struan. It's a battle. He brought it, didn't he? 
It's amazing. Where was that birthed? I believe, maybe it was from his parents. Maybe he's seen it, and then he's tried it. It's part of him. Open hands. The boy gave up his lunch. There was a cost, and Jesus brought a miracle. There's often a cost to see the kingdom of God come. We are to take our eyes from the earthly possessions, expectations, pressures, and just give what we have. And for, again, to go back to our journey with Inverness Vineyard Church, to plant this church, and please hear the heart of this for Mary and I. We have had to sacrifice friendships, our house, finances, jobs, because God has spoke and he is worth it. I'm not saying it's, it's been easy, because it hasn't. It's been a roller coaster. But we are here, and we are loving it, and we are seeing God move. But that initial thing of what we're having to give up was tough. Everywhere we go, how do we spend our money? Who does it go to? Our time, our energy. He held on to it lightly, and Jesus used it for his glory. Commentator says this, and something supernatural happened. There's a profound pattern of Jesus' ministry of taking blessing and giving as he did here. Men offer him whatever they might have, however earthly and limited you would call upon God's heavenly graces upon it and return it with spirited potential the giver never dreamed it could convey. Something happens. God uses it and he brings some more along with it as well. And just to highlight as well, speaking about our planting journey, that goes with the families who have moved with us as well. Exactly the same journey. So I want to ask, are we going to take a risk or are we going to play it safe? Diamonds need pressure to be all they can be. How do we live when pressure comes? Maybe we are so close to seeing some amazing, miraculous, supernatural things happen. I want to say to us, keep moving in the small. Keep being faithful with the little. Keep being expectant that God is going to use it. He is with us and he is always at work. Smith Wigglesworth says, all of me, none of God. Less of me, more of God. None of me, all of God. That's where we want to be. None of me, all of God. Let's stand.